All right, so uh, we're in our second week of Overwatch here today, <clears throat> and we're our discussion today is called "Win the War in the Air." So I saw a—it's uh, really a pamphlet you can get. It's online. Uh, it was made back in '95 by Colonel Philip Malinger, and he wrote this for the United States Air Force, and it was called uh, 10 Propositions Regarding Air Power." And the very first of those said, whoever controls the air generally controls the surface. So you've seen some of that recently, even if, if you've been keeping up with what's happening in Ukraine, <clears throat> you saw how Russia quickly began to dominate the airspace. And so that's it's an essential tactic if you're going to war to control the air. Why would it be so important to control the airspace? Anybody? You can control the routes in and out, yes? Yes, you have the perspective. You have the oversight to be able to watch what's happening, the overwatch. What else? Why is it important to control the air? Yeah. Yes, there's a... <laughs> yeah, you can control a different dimension of the battlefield. I like that. That ties into the discussion even today. Good. What else? Why is it important to control the air? Armor's weak point is its top. So if you control the air, you, you control the armor. Wow. Bombing of the there you go. Nice. I like it. So that applies on the physical battlefield, but it has a lot of application for us even into the spiritual battle because whoever controls the air controls what's happening on the ground as well. Sometimes we like to put off prayer to the last thing that we do. We try all of what we can in our own strength and then turn to prayer. But as we're gonna see, our battle is first won in the air. And if you wanna see victory happen, on the horizontal, you've got to win the battle vertical first. You've got to win the battle in the air. So this series, Overwatch, is designed to help us get to that place, to know how to be men who see spiritual threat, not just uh, the tangible, physical circumstances of life, but see into the realm of the spirit and know how to assess threat there. Now, <clears throat> I grew up, uh, my spiritual early days were in the 80s, late 80s and, and 90s. So uh, I was part of a lot, some of the teaching back in that day where spiritual battle was sometimes associated with physical things. For example, uh, it was taught that if you had certain items in your home, then those could bring spiritual threats into your home. And I recognize there can be some application to that. So, for example, back in the day, there were some that believed that Cabbage Patch dolls were actually evil, uh, that their, the middle name, supposedly, uh, given to Cabbage Patch dolls was given to them to be named after some uh, evil god, and whichever child had one of these dolls that had that name would have these physical manifestations of problems in their life. So people got rid of their Cabbage Patch dolls you know, and then it went on from there. It was rock music. If you had, you know, these albums in your house, 
Even if they were in the attic or if they were in a barn, somewhere on your property, if you had those items in your possession, you were gonna have the physical effects of that in your own life. You could have sicknesses, you could have mental issues, and so just down the line it went, and there were other, other items like that. So spiritual warfare got to be attached to physical items like that. And there was a lot of promise. If you got rid of these items, then you'd stop having spiritual problems in your life. You know, if you get rid of these, if you get rid of those rock albums that were somewhere in your attic, far back in the back, you would stop having issues with lust and greed and all that stuff. I'm like, well, I'm all in. Get rid of a few things in the attic and no more lust. I'm in. And uh, it didn't work. So <clears throat> that's the sad thing is that it began, spiritual warfare began to be attached to physical items and it got to be thrown into this realm of kind of mysterious, hocus pocus, you know, uh, stuff instead of dealing with the real life issues of what spiritual warfare is. And so a lot of things got dismissed in regular life because spiritual warfare was attached to these, you know, mysterious hocus pocus things like that. So I wanna to attempt to bring some of this back into the realm of a reality of life where spiritual warfare really hits. I don't want it to be this mysterious thing. Um, of course, back in the day, also back in the 80s, there was uh, the books like This Present Darkness. If anybody's read any of those series, anybody, This Present Darkness? Okay, cool. Uh, very visual, uh, vivid pictures of spiritual realities that, that are real. Those are very real. But sometimes when you go to extremes with them, then people tend to dismiss some of the realities of life that happen with spiritual uh, warfare. I want to attempt to bring that back into reality today. So, for example, uh, there is a realm, and the passages today we're going to deal with, starting in Ephesians 6, 12 here, remind us of this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places tells us there is a realm, there is a dimension that is different than what we see. It is real. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't have a reality to it. And it is organized. It has threat to it. There are principalities, powers, and rulers in it. There are hosts, and they are wicked. They have their sights set on you. And the last thing that they want you to do is recognize their presence. They want to stay under the radar. They want to stay masked. They want to stay camouflaged. They want to present themselves as things that you would not be disturbed by. They want to present themselves in ways that you would accept them as normal. They want to present themselves as things that you would even find helpful because this is what wickedness does. They're not going to present themselves as wicked. So we have to pull back the mask. We have to get a spiritual radar on them. We have to assess the threat and see the camo. <clears throat> I follow um, one of the things I follow on TikTok is this site that comes up and they'll show a picture like, um, they've got a camera footage of like a hillside and it says, find the sniper, you have 10 seconds, go. And so somewhere camouflaged in this hillside is a, is a sniper and you, you're looking for it, you can't see it because they're camo, they're covered completely. And then after a while, the person gets up and reveals, here I am. So the enemy is like that. The last thing he wants you to do is see his presence. He's going to camo himself. He's going to hide himself. He's not going to present himself for the enemy that he is. 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Here we see that we have weapons, we have a war, they are in the realm of believing, they are in the realm of thoughts, and they are in opposition to everything that God is. And I think what's happened uh, over, over our lifetime <clears throat> is that much of what are actually spiritual threats have been downplayed by the world because they, they don't believe in a, a realm that's spiritual. They don't believe in God. They don't believe that God is spirit, that God exists. So if you take God out of the equation and you see people having issues that are emotional, that are, that are mental, that are behavioral, and you take God out of the equation, they have to attribute it to something. And so they attribute it to emotional, physical, or behavioral issues. And so then the natural response for someone who does not believe in God and spirit would have to be medicate it, behavior train it, or attribute it to just natural personality. And so a lot of what's happening today is that there are spiritual issues in, in place but are being dismissed as spiritual issues and instead are being attributed to, well, that's just personality, that's just an emotional issue, that is a mental condition, or that is just a behavior that needs to be trained out of someone. So, I'm not suggesting today that every physical or emotional or mental issue has spiritual root to it. But there are far more than we realize that have a spiritual root to them because the enemy has masked himself, camouflaged himself, and so we are going to pull back the radar and look at it and see what it reveals about how the enemy is at work today and what he is trying to do to even influence us in our daily lives. I don't believe that a Christian can be possessed in the sense of fully given over to demonic control. But every one of us are open to the potential of having evil influence us and even take parts of our mind. If that wasn't true, then 2 Corinthians 10 would not have said, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means we're going to have thoughts, <clears throat> we're going to have emotions and ideas that we are going to have to rein in, that we're going to have to take captive because the enemy is going to want to take them for his purposes. He's going to want to camouflage himself right up into your life and have an impact on you. So it's important that we become men of overwatch who know how to keep an eye on and assess threat around us and then assess threat and protect those that we love as well. That's part of our role as men. So we will get to that spot where we talk about how to be spiritual protector in your marriage, in your family, and for those that you love and are part of your sphere of influence. So today, I want us to zero in on one of the tactics of the enemy. We, we did a high-level overview last week. 
and looked at some groupings of spiritual threats. Today we're going to zero in on one <clears throat> that has so many people held captive today. And it is the grouping of spiritual threat that deals with fear, anxiety, and worry. Um, I can speak on this one. You've heard it. You've heard me say it plenty of times because I've walked in this one. I know the threat of this one. I know the reality of this one. I know what it does to you. And I, I have to put on my spiritual armor against this one. We all have areas where the threat is very real. We all have areas we have to put on the armor. And this is one that is a very spiritual threat to us today. So uh, I do want to make it clear when I'm talking about spiritual warfare and a spirit of fear, uh, first of all, it does begin with spiritual forces. There are spiritual forces at play who want to impose fear, anxiety, and worry into our life, even as believing men. And that the fact that it's spiritual means that it wants to present itself and overwhelm us with a spirit of fear, something that just comes over you. For me, when a spirit of fear, anxiety, and worry comes over me, it's not even that I have logical reasons why I am afraid of something. It's just that a spirit of fear comes over me. You understand what I'm saying? It just comes on like a like an, an attitude or a or a sense. I hate to say feeling because it's not just an emotion, but it's this awareness of fear, anxiety, and worry. Let's talk about how that manifests itself in the lives of men. It can show up in a lot of different ways. It can show up in a fear of what other people think. This one's big for men to be in a crowd and fear how other people are thinking about us, how they see us, how they evaluate us, what they think about us, do we measure up, do we have what it takes, all that kind of thing. But that idea comes from a, a spirit of fear, a spirit of lack of confidence, a spirit of concern for what others think. It can show up in a fear of doing the wrong thing. Now, that should be generally true of us. We don't want to do the wrong thing. But sometimes, even within Christian groups, there can be this overwhelming fear, oppressive fear, that I'm going to do the wrong thing and it's going to so adversely impact my life that I'll screw up the rest of my life. It's one thing to be aware of that. It's another thing to live in a complete obsessive fear of that. A fear that somehow I'm going to Think one thought, do one thing, say one thing, and it's going to completely cause God to rain down judgment on my life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. A fear of things going badly. Just a general sense that, oh, things are going to turn out terrible. It's just going to be a bad day. I just have a bad sense about this. Or uh, things are going to turn out terrible. It's going to go bad today. That is not from God that kind of spirit of fear that things are going to go terribly. That is an, that's a tactic of the enemy that we have to expose. Uh, a fear of losing God's love. Now, depending upon what uh, faith environment you've grown up in, this one can be huge. 
a fear that somehow I'm going to do a thing and all of a sudden God's going to say, that's it, I'm done with you. I've tried, I've, I've, I've pushed, and now I'm done with you. That somehow you're going to lose God's love for you, which ties to the next one, a fear of losing salvation. Again, depending upon which faith environment you grew up in, this one becomes massive. Because if you live in a fear, a continual fear that you're not really saved, that you could do one thing that could cause you to lose your eternal security, that God could just turn away from you in a moment, that will cause you to live in a general spirit of fear for your life, and it will spill over into every area of life. You'll live with fear over everything. So if you've been in that faith environment and you've lived with that kind of fear, let me hear from you this morning. Who says, who would say, I've grown up in that, I know what that feeling's like, here's what it did to me. Anybody? You got a couple of those? Anybody want to say, here's what it's, here's what it's produced in me? <clears throat> because if you're daily struggling to try to be good enough, yes. you might one day say, well, what if I just say, not worried about being good enough. Yep. In fact, maybe I'll just do whatever. Right? Yes. See how that works. Yes. And the problem with that is it might work for a while and it might feel better, a lot better because you, you free yourself from that fear. Like, oh, I'm not going to worry about pleasing God on this. I'll do what pleases me. Yep. And it's true. Then you're just there. And so it's, it's, that's an extremely effective tactic. It's not, you, you had somebody trying. Yeah. To, to, to do something right, you know. Yeah, and it's a trap because then once you come to that place, like, well, why would I want to go back to it? Because I couldn't do it to begin with. It was too overwhelming, too disturbing, too difficult, so why even go back to it? That's what happens when you live with this fear and of uncertainty, even about your own identity with God, your own salvation. Anybody else that's been in that before, what that's done to you, John? Yes. So if I do something wrong, you know, this is why any of you who have been around me a lot hear me talk a ton about community and being able to talk to other people because I have not grown up with that. I grew up feeling like I had to hide everything because my salvation's on the line. So if I've done something wrong, I'm no longer saved. And if you see me do something wrong, then you know I'm not saved. And so I just gotta just gotta keep all of this hidden and See how that manifests itself in, <clears throat> in one spirit of fear in one area had all this spillover into so many other areas, how you're related to people, and I bet it applied over into your marriage, into your children, 
in the area area of life, one, one sense of a spirit of fear took over and it began to manifest itself in so many other ways. Yes, sir. Yes. Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they yeah. use that the fear tactics of losing salvation. Yeah. This uh, excommunicates you and yeah. if, if they you don't lose so many hours towards your salvation. Yeah. So your spirit is very fearful. It is. It happens in cults. It happens even within well-meaning Christian churches, faith, Bible-based churches that believe that there is no security or stability in Christ. And so when you, when you just remove that one element, just take away that one foundational truth, and now fear will wreck your life <clears throat> because you will live every day wondering, did I just commit the sin that undid my salvation? Did I just lose it? Did I, do I have to go back now and repent again this next Sunday or tonight? And so every night... You have to go back to square one again. Every day, every Sunday, every time, you're going back to square one. Well, guess what never happens if you keep going back to square one? You never grow. You never mature. You never get past the issues. And in fact, you get to the place, just like they pointed out, of now I'm going to have to fake it around everybody because I don't want them to see uh, how I'm not doing. Or you get to the place where you just say, forget it. It's too hard. It's too difficult, and the enemy says, gotcha, it worked. I positioned myself as a sniper, and I got you. A spirit of fear does that. Let's look at a few more of these. Uh, a fear of God turning his back. <clears throat> I understand wanting to please God, <coughs> excuse me, but living with this compulsive or obsessive fear that God is going to turn his back on at any moment He's going to stop blessing you, stop showing you his path. <clears throat> that is disabling. That is disfiguring. And it completely cuts our feet out from under us. Uh, fear of losing God's favor. A fear of having to pay back sins. Living in this uh, fear that one day God's going to finally say, all right, now you're going to pay. Now I'm going to get you. That thing you did three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, now. Or the enemy's favorite line is, sell this mess you're going through right now? That's because of what you did. I'm, get, I'm getting you back for that. And, and making it sound like that's God talking to you. That is a spirit of fear, anxiety, and worry. Fear of not repenting enough. Whew. We're going to take communion this next Sunday, <clears throat> this coming Sunday. And this will be in the room, a fear of not repenting enough, that I've got to beat myself up, punish myself, make sure I've considered every nook and cranny of my past and my present and every thought and every attitude. I, I get it that we want to um, be clean before the Lord. But my forgiveness in heaven is not based on my ability to cover every area of my life with repentance. It's based on Jesus' death for me. And I bring myself and surrender to him and believe that he paid for my sin. That's what cleanses me, not my ability to cleanse myself, right? 
It's in his forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not up to you to clean the house. He cleans the house, right? But that spirit of fear will put a man in bondage, a fear of not living righteously enough. Key word on so many of these is that word enough. And the enemy uses that against men. He uses it against all of us. Because if he can get you with this spirit, he will defeat you. You will live less than the man you were called to be in Jesus Christ. Right? Do you recognize some of these manifestations? Here's, here's the cost on the back. <clears throat> if, you, if you ever give in to some of these, <clears throat> if you give in to this spirit, <clears throat> here's some of the results. You'll end up living with stress. You'll be stressed. Thank you very much. You'll be stressed all the time that you haven't done enough, that there's more to do. You've got to stay on the treadmill. You've got to keep going, and you'll stress yourself. You will stay tense. You'll have tension in your life. You'll be nervous all the time, nervous about what people think, nervous about if you've done enough, nervous all the time. Your mind is just racing all the time, assessing yourself. You'll be filled with anxiety. You'll be filled with weakness in that moment because if you are walking in fear, you have no power, you have no strength. You'll have difficulty in sleeping because you can't rest at night. Difficulty in making decisions because there's so many options on the table. What if I make the wrong one? What if it's not the right thing? What if, what if this? What if that? And then you become obsessive compulsive. That's not just a psychological issue that just appears out of nowhere. There's a root to that. And one of those roots is when people have a spirit of fear. I've got to do the right thing. I've got to make sure everything's always right. I've got to make sure this is in the right spot. I've got to make sure this is done just the same way. I can't change this because the last time I changed this, something bad happened. I've walked in all of that. I understand that. It's very real. And then panic attacks, where all of a sudden you're just completely overwhelmed. You don't even know why, but you're just completely overwhelmed with fear. I remember this happening to me on multiple occasions. I remember going to a restaurant with Brianna when she was probably four I'm sitting in this restaurant and we're eating. It's just the two of us. And I get this overwhelming urge. I've got to run out of this restaurant. I can't, I just can't. I'm breathing fast all of a sudden. It's like there's a weight on me. I gotta run out of the room, but I, I can't run out of the room. I've got a four-year-old daughter right here. It was a war in that moment to get past that moment. I had to breathe and just remember truth and pray. It's horrible. But when an attack like that comes, it's when the spirit of fear has just overtaken. I, didn't even, I couldn't explain to you logically. I couldn't tell you why, but it was very, very real because I believe it is actually a spiritual thing that was happening. And that spirit overtook me. And it, it presents itself then in a variety of results in relationships. So then... <clears throat> As John pointed out, you have this difficulty in being open and honest with other people. My goodness, you can't be open and honest with other people because they'll see your flaws. They'll see where you're weak. They'll see that you haven't measured up. They'll see that you're not enough. You'll begin to be worn out from being around people because, boy, when you're on with people, you're on high alert all the time, and that just drains you. If you're living with fear, you can't relax. You can't enjoy. You can't just be with other people. Uh, you're obsessed with second-guessing every thought, statement, and action. Man, you're on constant replay 
Did I say that right? Did I, did I mean this? Did they understand this? What did they say? What did they think about this? Did I say that right? Just this continual assessment, over-assessment, over-analyzing choices and actions with fam of family and friends even. You're over-analyzing not just your own life, but other people. Did they do this right? Especially if it's your own family. You become over over-obsessed with, oh my goodness, what if they do this? What if this happens to them? Oh, what if my child does this? What if my aunt does this? What if my mom does this? What if my dad? It's just on and on, obsessive, over-concerned with things that could go wrong and putting up a front then so that other people will think well of you. Do you see how the power of just one spirit of fear can take over our life? That's why the initial verse we use there from 2 Timothy says, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. This is what we're called to walk in. So I've had to learn over time that when I recognize even just that sense coming into my life of fear, I have to stop right then and go through a little process. And here's what it looks like, the next step here. I've got to recognize where fear, anxiety, and worry has had a foothold in my life. This takes courage to say, I struggle with fear. Because even the admission of that, the enemy wants to take advantage of and say, don't do it. Don't tell anybody. Be afraid of what other people would think. Be afraid of admitting this. Be afraid of being honest. You have to recognize how it's impacted you. You've got to push past the fear of what other people think. You've got to, you've got to recognize it to begin with. And this is hard for men, especially in Christian circles, because they don't want to admit it. <clears throat> Mark? True. Because what will happen is she will have that fear that she's not meeting up to what your, yep. whatever your standard <clears throat> is, and it goes the other way too. It does. It goes uh, both so ways. It goes both ways, and mm -hmm. it can create unrest, mm -hmm. division, and marriage. Mm -hmm. It's just one person fear meeting up to some kind of standard that the other one has. It's true. <clears throat> it's true. So recognize it. Number two, repent of it. You've got to own it. You might say, well. But it was because of this thing in my family. It was because of this church I went to. It was because of this situation that caused it. I understand that. Maybe we've been in those environments that helped create it. But at some point, you owned it. You acted on it. You believed it. And to break it, you have to admit that. You can't just blame them, whoever them is. You have to own it and say, I have lived with fear. A spirit of fear. I made the choice. I became obsessed with it. I let it take hold of me. If you don't repent of it, you won't ever be free from it. This is where it begins. And then you have to reject the pull to it because it's going to keep coming back at you. If it's, if it's worked on you before, the enemy will try it again. and He'll threaten you with it. And you can't reason with it. You can't try to have a logical conversation with a spirit of fear. You just have to pray against it. You just have to reject it. You have to say, no, no, I will not. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You just have to keep telling it truth or that spirit will come back on you. And then you have to begin to rebuild with new patterns of faith and confidence. It's important to recognize it. It's important to repent of it. It's important to reject it. But if you don't rebuild now with the spirit of, no, I have a spirit 
of power and strength. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power. I'm going to build into my life faith that tells me I am more than a conqueror in Christ. I can have victory in this situation. I can win over this. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm accepted in a crowd. I can be confident because God has accepted me. This is truth winning out. This is power taking over. And I can have power and I can have love and know that I'm loved and I can have a sound mind. I can have clarity. I can welcome all of that into my life and begin to rebuild so that instead of a man of fear, of of a spirit of fear, I can be a man of great faith who sees what is unseen, who has strength over what has been my weakness, and who has love and a passion for where I have been held captive, right? So now the real discussion begins at your tables. There's some questions here. This is where the application comes in. Y'all talk through these. Someone lead this conversation at your table. This is where the real battle will come in. So talk through this and then have someone pray at your table at the end.